your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. LeJean in a quarterback from Maryland. Looking at third and nine out with the 30-yard line. LeJean gets the snap. Gets hit. Dropped. Oh, what a sack. Big time hit by JoJo Doman. Back at the 21-yard line. Doman's second sack of the year. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Who? He's back, huh? You ready? You fired up? I'm sure you are. I'm sure you've really been looking forward to this. It, it honestly feels a little weird. <laughs> like, and anybody that's had a, had a child knows, like, the weeks following, it doesn't really feel like the same life. It feels like you're you're living a completely different life than what you did before. So, yeah, this stuff this definitely doesn't feel like a like a typical sports nightly show. That's for sure. Ah, well, welcome back. You you've had a life changing event in your household. Update us. How's it going? Things are things are going as good as to be expected. I think uh, you know we've everything that we've been told about the first week of life, and she will be exactly a week old here in three hours, which is crazy to believe. Uh, it's 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 been pretty much what everybody has said. You know, the first night, uh, you know, your emotions are are really really kind of pouring out, and um, it's hard to sleep. But then the second and third nights are really hard to sleep because you know, of the baby's patterns and feeding patterns, you know, that was definitely the case. And then things just slowly get better. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of been the case. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're dealing with a bit of a, a more of a hardship as, you know, on the second night home, I decided to, uh, to injure my foot and, uh, what? And, and now I'm in a, in a walking boot and not really, you know, as mobile as I once was. So, I'm Would sure you my stub your toe really... on, on a side of a bed or something? Well, I was, I was going down to get a on a bottle run at it was just after four in the morning, <laughs> and I uh, I was a little disoriented when I got out of bed because of you know sleep deprivation and whatnot. Uh, was going a little too fast on the second to last stair. I thought the last stair was the landing, and obviously there was one more step, and a foot went you know naturally trajectory takes it down a little bit. Land, landed right on my toe, snapped my pinky toe. Oh, my God. So they had to, uh, you know, there's not, and, and for those that have, have broken or injured a toe, and I'm sure that's most of the people listening, there's not much you can do for a toe. So we kind of thought, you know, throw it on ice and and just kind of let it be sore for however long and just kind of get through it. Well, the more that I looked at it the next day, the con- the concern was that I had dislocated it because I mean it was sticking straight out the side of my foot, oh, God. and I don't know much about about uh, you know th- that type of stuff, but I I have heard that whether no matter what the dislocation, if it's the longer that it's dislocated, the the more severe it can get. So we thought, okay, well we better go make sure that it's not. Um, so we got it taken care of. I'm in a, a fancy walking boot and got some crutches. Some some days are better than others, but it's definitely added to the uh, to the drama of having a, a child at four o'clock in the morning when, you know, I, I should be the one, you know, running up and down the stairs, helping my wife and getting the bottles ready and doing all that stuff. It, she's having to pick up some of that slack even because. Uh, you know, as you know, timeliness is a, is is a big thing when you have a kid and. I still can do the stuff. It just takes me about ten times longer than it would for her to to just do it herself. But other than other than dad, mom and mom and baby are doing great. And uh, yeah, it's been everything we'd hoped it'd be. 
Yeah, when babies are ready to eat, they're ready to eat. They don't want any of this. Wait till the bottle gets warmed up, or oh, I gotta nope. run somewhere to go get it. Get it. Well, to then the me other now. Th- and the other part of it too, you're wanting to get it over as fast as possible so you can go back to bed. So yeah. you're, I mean, you're not wanting to, you know, find the comfy spot in the room, get the get the lazy boy in the perfect spot. You're wanting to just have the baby suck down the bottle, fall back asleep, wrap it back up in a swaddle. Put it in the bassinet and go back to bed and wait wait two and a half hours till you got to do it all over again. So the baby was born a week ago. You came home on was it Friday? You came home. Yeah. So let me see if I can get my days right. So she was born, as I said, a week ago today on a Wednesday at exactly nine o'clock. Right um, when sports finally ended. Perfect timing. Yeah. Right when we got off the air. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we uh, we spent three nights there, uh, including the night before. So the yes, Friday Friday at about I think we got home about two thirty. So yeah, Friday Friday night was our first night back at home. Um, you know, she she was kind of born at an awkward hour. Of course, they don't want to release you at eleven o'clock at night or whatever it is. So they had us um, they had to stay an extra night and get to get the, the, that's the okay. doctor checkup finished and all that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's okay. Yeah. It was uh, it was great. I mean, obviously, we were ready to get home, but I, I got to say, it was really nice having food delivered to your door uh, on a on a tray. It was nice. You know, you need anything? Yeah. Could you fill up the water? Okay, great. Uh, yeah, we're out of washcloths. You know that that was awesome having that. But um, you know, even having a healthy foot at that point, being six two and sleeping on those little cots and couches that they give you, I mean. Like I've been telling people, they could give you a, you know, a five-star mattress with, a, with the comfiest blanket in the world, and you're not getting any sleep because your, your mind is just so many other places. But, yeah, there wasn't a lot of great sleep that happened at the hospital. But we're there. everybody there was awesome. The, the nurses there were all spectacular. We, we felt taken care of, and they were on top of everything. And, yeah, it was just a, the experience that we had was, was wonderful. Well, congratulations from all of us here at the network. We've been tracking that, and we even created a top ten list to try to help you kind of ease your way into into being a father. I don't know if that's going to help at all, but we, we did uh, we did go back and listen to that, which was which was quite funny. <laughs> um, and, and it's fun. And, and you know, at that time when we had heard it, the baby wasn't here yet. So now now thinking back to all the things that you josh and and even austin or, or i should say austin's father yeah know, that contributed was, that was grandfatherly <laughs> advice there yeah uh, a lot of those things have have come to fruition josh we've taken your advice of writing things down um you know that it was very clear after like the first or second day that trying to remember you know when when this was or when that was and then you know i've got i've got you know, painkillers that I've got to take with my foot. So I got to think, okay, was that, what time was that? When can I take my next one? So writing things down has been tremendously helpful. The other thing that is, that stood out, I think it was you, Josh, that said this too, was how fast your trash fills up. Uh, that, 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 that has been another eye opening thing because we've, we've kind of got, since my situation kind of prohibits me from getting up and down the stairs, we've kind of got a station set up upstairs in the bedroom so our trash can isn't even overly big anyway. You know, normally you use like one of those 10 or 12 gallon trash cans. We got like a little bathroom one that we're using <laughs> and we're filling one of those bags up at least a day. So that's, that has been another, uh, another thing that we've had to get used to. Well, very good. Well, uh, I, you, you told me you've been passing the time by watching some old college world series games, including some Husker ones, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird what, uh, 
it's weird what what kind of comes to you when when you're you know sleep deprived and you'd think you want to go to you know the well right office uh in her case Grey's Anatomy some of those old shows that you can just watch on loop but for me it's been wanting to you know stuff that will probably put me to sleep so I've been watching a lot believe it or not Greg I've been watching a lot of old golf tournaments on YouTube just because it's number one I, I can't play so um, and I like to, and I like the sound, right? You like to, you just pulling up old golf tournaments. It's, it, it helps put you to sleep. You, it's sure hard does. to sit there and watch five hours of an old tournament. So I've been watching a, a ton of old golf videos. Oh, I shouldn't say watching. They've been on. So I usually make it about 20, 30 minutes before I fall asleep. That's been helpful. Um, but yeah, I noticed yesterday on, on Twitter that, uh, on ESPNU, they were going to play the old 2002 Nebraska Clemson game from the College World Series, and I couldn't find that game anywhere, Greg. I've been wanting to watch that game for years, Rewatch that game. Um, I pulled up the box score a bunch of times, but you forget all of the things that, that happened, and so I I took in every pitch of that, that game against Clemson uh, last night, and that was a lot of fun to relive. And, of course, you know, should've seeing Will Bolt. They should have won that game. To see Will Bolt play for that team and, and of course, Jeff Lisey, who's still around the program, and Justin Seeley, who's down at A&M. Uh, of course, seeing Mike Anderson and Dave Van Horn, seeing all those those names were, were, was just awesome to see. Um, but it, I, and then that coupled with the recruiting news that Husker baseball have gotten, it's really kind of dumped gas on the fire for me of wanting to get Husker baseball back. And uh, of course, with the the Major League Baseball situation, which sounded like we got some decent news on that today, um, the baseball nostalgia has been real for me, and that that kind of um, whetted my appetite even more watching that even though the Huskers lost that game in heartbreaking fashion yeah really should have won that game that would have been a huge jump getting Clemson on and, and with a loss early in that 0-2 tournament but yeah I did see that that was on and today BTN's been re-showing uh, Nebraska games from all kinds of sports uh, throughout the day today well it's good to have you back coming up here in a couple of minutes we have our weekly edition of the Husker Huddle. Jeremiah Searle is going to sit down with Blake Lawrence. This is going to be fascinating because, and I know you talked to Blake, Ben, a couple of months ago about the name, image, likeness, which with Blake's company along with Adi Kunalik uh, Open Doors, they're right in the middle of all this thing. This is going to be fascinating to hear this and get some updates on what that, where that is headed because that train is screaming down the track for college sports and it's only going to become more and more of a, a part of college athletics as we move through the next year or two. So that's coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, we had a great conversation with Jeremiah on Monday about a lot of different topics, including he teased us a little bit about this interview with Blake. Uh, so we're looking forward to that coming up here in a couple of minutes. Welcome to another edition of Husker Huddle presented by Sap Brothers. Will they say welcome, be our guest. Today we're very lucky to be joined by, I mean, entrepreneur, former Husker linebacker, and really just all around amazing individual, Blake Lawrence. Blake, how are we doing, my friend? Not too bad. That's a good intro. Jay, hey. I'll take it. Hey, man, I just speak the truth here at, uh, at Husker Sports Network, man. We're excited to have you. It's been a while since we've been able to get caught up with you. Um, let's talk, let's go back a little bit here and get caught up about your Husker career, 2008 to, excuse me, 2007 to 2008. Um, got a little cut short because of concussions, but I mean, blessing in disguise, you've gone on to do amazing things since then. But now that you've had about 10 years now to really reflect back, what are some of your favorite moments from wearing the N on the side of your helmet? Favorite moments, um, you know, there's, 
in 2008, my sophomore year, uh, we played at K-State. Mm. And it was my first start um, at linebacker. And I was a captain that game. I grew up in Kansas City. I grew up going to Manhattan to watch K-State play. I would wear purple. Uh, and so there was a lot of emotion to have my very first start at Nebraska be in Kansas, in Manhattan, on the field that I used to go and sit in the stands and, and root against Nebraska. Uh, <laughs> we won that game. And I, I think about that one. That was a, uh, just in totality a great night. It was also, I had a concussion that night, actually. But, um, <laughs> had, not but funny. Had, had, not funny. Yeah. Uh, not, not funny. But it's, it's a little bit funny now. But, um, yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, then, then it's probably uh, many more. But that one sticks out as as one uh, I, I look back on. It wasn't as as big of a deal then. I mean, there's other moments, but um, again, a decade later, that that stood out. Yeah, I mean that that's that's a fun one that you'll always remember. And I mean, we all have those now. A decade out, it's crazy to think that that was that long ago that I actually got a chance to meet you. And what that then I did not know would then lead into a friendship that has now gone on for many years, but also a professional relationship where literally two star, maybe even one story down from this studio that I'm sitting in, you founded and opened Open Doors in uh, 2012. And you are now off and running with that. Kind of talk us back. Let's rewind to 2012 and talk about the creation of Open Doors and what sparked that and kind of where it's gone since then. Yeah. So, you know, thinking back again, uh, a, a decade ago, my career was cut short. I had concussion issues. So in 2009, I was done playing ball. Audie Kanalik, uh, kicker on the team. And folks remember old Audie, great kickoff specialist. We were best friends. And, Hammer leg. You know, Yep, yep. Um, and so Audie and I, less than a year after we, I was done playing ball, Audie was still on the team. We started our first company, heard that, social media. Uh, it's based in Lincoln. And our office was also in that same building. Um, so we were helping businesses manage their social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And then in 2011, Prince of Mukamara got drafted first round NFL draft. And he gave us a call and said, hey, guys, can you help me out? Uh, I don't know. I know social media is important. I just need help on knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it, so I look good. And so we started to work with Prince um, and realized really quickly, whenever he said the right thing, right place, right time, it was like he was a magician. Every Husker fan and every Giants fan would click and watch videos and engage with them. Um, the tough part is getting Prince to say the right thing, right place, right time. <laughs> was dang, dang, dang near impossible. So we built OpenDoors. We, we built this tool that said, hey, Prince, you're going to get an alert to your phone. It's like an app, right? And if if we have something that we want you to say, there's a green button or a red button. If you want to say it, hit the green button. And then the software will do the rest. And uh, it was Prince-proof is what we call it, Jeremiah. I know you know those days too, <laughs> too yep. well. Yep. Uh, but it had, had to be easy and uh, simple, lovable. So we, we gave it to Prince uh, in 2013 is when we uh, officially got the product going. And less than a month after we uh, got Prince on board, the NFL Players Association called us and asked if they could use the tool for every player in the NFL. Um, so since then, it's been this uh, story of growth, a story of not, not all growth, not all easy, not all um, you know rainbows and butterflies, but Today, more than 13,000 athletes around the world, from Tiger Woods to Alex Morgan, Prince of Mukamara, Jeremiah Searles, use Open Doors to look good and make money. 
I mean, it's, a, it's an awesome thing, and I'm glad you brought up the, the idea of social media. And just, I mean, even since 2013, toward it is now, the idea and, and social media has morphed so much more into such a driving factor in many athletes' lives, really in everyday life. Did you back then really assume that this was kind of the trajectory that social media was going? Or did you think that, the, I mean, we obviously haven't even hit the sky, the limit for social media, but with athletes specifically, did you really see the positives? that it, this can do for an athlete in his brand image and in his post career, whatever that might go to. Did you guys really view that or just kind of learning and growing as it was, as yeah. social media was growing? There's, there's really two answers to that, Jeremiah. There's, there's the objective and subjective. And I'll, I'll start with the, the objective side of this is, you know, once we started to see we, what Prince said on his social channels and we compare it to what we would push out on, uh, the social channels of Bryan Health Hospital, you know, like those local businesses in Nebraska. And the engagement rate when Prince would say something would be 20 to 30 times higher than the local business. And so we started to track this trends and, and realize that, you know, Prince, even compared to Nebraska's official accounts, when Prince said something, he would generate 10 to 20 times higher hmm. uh, engagement. So the, the data doesn't lie that when athletes say the right things online, it's one of the most powerful uh, you know, moments in sports or in sports marketing, it, it's really, they can change community, they can change consumer behavior, they can shift culture. Um, and so that's an interesting point, but then there's the, the subjective side of this. Like Jeremiah, when I was on the team in 2009, I was the first guy on the team using Twitter, right? <laughs> and I had built up uh, almost a thousand followers by the time I was done, like my concussions into my career local media members, it was, uh, you know, folks that work right there in that building. Um, and when I was done, I, you know, had this this audience that would follow me, right, that, that stayed with me for a lifetime. The people that hit follow in 2009 still follow me today, right? And that is something that no matter how big your audience is, athletes today can use social media to create this connection to a fan base that it used to just drop off. Like if I didn't have social media and my career was over, then what would, how would I say connected to the Nebraska fans? Right. But now with social media, like every athlete has the ability to build an audience that lasts them a lifetime. And so the moments they have on campus in Nebraska, they're, they're starting to create these connections that those people do not leave them once their career is over. And so for us, um, and even my personal story, you know, I, though I got a direct message on Twitter in 2010 from Kevin Kugler asking if I wanted to come try out the show Big Red Wrap Up, and I became the co-host of the television show for, for eight years. Um, our very first customer at our first business came through a social media connection. So uh, today's athletes can use social media to, to create a connection to an audience that will last them a lifetime, and they can uh, create opportunities that they just wouldn't have had otherwise. So the data is there, but also the stories are there time and time again to say that this matters a great deal in today's sports world as well as the world of consumerism people want to follow people they love and trust and social media gives them that ability absolutely and i think that that leads into a great next point that i want to bring up is the argument and or discussion that many people have now with the name image and likeness coming into play now you and i have had numerous discussions about this i mean all the way from uh the nfl combine to back here in nebraska at lead bellies and just chatting i mean what you are the the expert in my opinion on name image likeness because you have been doing this for so long 
what are some things that you guys have been doing that you could really see being beneficial to college players specifically when it comes to the social media part and name image likeness getting brought into college to get athletes some uh, compensation while they're still playing? Yeah, I think one of the things that you know we've been fortunate to learn over the last near decade of helping professional athletes make money online is the the nuances that go into managing those relationships um, and the complexities of the athlete endorsement market in pro sports. There are agents, managers, marketing reps, publicists, financial advisors, lawyers, attorneys, brothers, sisters, dogs, cats that all <laughs> want to be a part of every single deal. Um, and each one of those those individuals have uh, a desire to help. Um, most of the time they slow things down, um, they hurt. And so what we built within Open Doors is a, that green button, gray button for Prince. Imagine that millions of dollars a year flow through Open Doors into the pockets of professional athletes that get an alert to their phone that says, hey, Jeremiah, you're gonna get paid $1,000 if you hit this green button right here. And you hit the green button, you put your phone back in your pocket, it takes you a total of five seconds to capitalize on your NIL value. But behind the scenes, Open Doors is managing um, who is paying who to do what. There's a contract that's created, signed digitally, stored. It's, you know, if you're an active member of the NFLPA, MLBPA, NBPA, USWNTPA, NHL, PJ Tour, LPJ, like all of that, then your information is then sent directly to the those that, that need to be in the know, your agent, the union, the players association. So behind the scenes, there's an incredible amount of complexity. But to the athlete, it's a green button or a red button. And, and that's something that is gonna be important for everyone to understand that NIL rights in the college landscape, student athlete endorsements, um, so they do not disrupt the current state of college sports and changes to the professional model. It has to be a low touch, high value um, operation with everything tracked to ensure that things are protected and compliant. So. Um, we're sharing that information of what we've learned with those that are looking to build the framework for the uh, NIL monetization and student athlete endorsements uh, in 2021 and beyond. So more simply to the those listening, um, this is a very good thing. Most athletes will make most of their money through social and digital media. So if you are not following your favorite athletes on your social digital channels, you should, because that is one of the best ways to contribute to what will turn into a, a great um, opportunity for them to capitalize and, and generate revenue while they're still on campus. I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard the arguments. There's a lot of pushback to it, but I think obviously the benefits are going to outweigh some of the arguments. I mean, what are some of the arguments that you've ran into from people when you just have these discussions that um, kind of worry people of the whole amateurism status piece of, uh, oh, only professionals should get paid. These guys are still in school and amateurs. What are some of the arguments that you've run into over that? Well, there's plenty of arguments and um, I can test them out with you, but one of them it's interesting keeps popping up is what's this going to do to the locker room are people going to start comparing how much money you know they make or this or that and um you know jeremy that probably exists in some level with the pro mm -hmm. space mm -hmm. um but what's interesting is that athletes compare already they could like if i walk in the weight room jeremy and i see that you've got four plates on your bench and i've got three or maybe even two if i'm being honest and uh, <laughs> then I know you're stronger than me. 
right? And if I go to your social channel and I see you got twice as many followers, like I know you're more popular than me, right? So if you're stronger than me, you might be able to beat me in, in a in a one-on-one -on -one battle on the field, right? If you were more popular than me, you might make more money than me. So so really, it, all it does is add one more factor that people are already comparing themselves to. Now there's just a dollar sign in front mm -hmm. of it. Um, but today's athletes, the competitive ones, they're all always sizing themselves up to others. Uh, I think what this is going to create is, is actually more fairness in terms of who can generate value because it has to be tied to NIL value. You may not be a starting quarterback, um, but you can leverage, you know, build a YouTube channel or, or build up a presence on Instagram or Twitter and make more money than the starting quarterback because that's what things will be tied to. Not your performance on the field, but what you do in terms of your brand building or your personal endorsement value. That's where the dollars are going to go to. So, I don't know. I, that's one of the things I, I like to talk about is the locker room thing. It already exists. Um, this won't change that. Yeah, I think I think you nailed. It. I mean, there's it's such a great discussion to be had, and I know you you share me in the same light is the fact that it's I'm glad we're finally having the discussion because it seems like it's always been like uh, a thing that was just like shunned. I remember when we were in school, it was like you just don't do this just because, and, yeah. and now it's like no, well, well, why? We're we're asking why, and I think that growth comes from why. Um, last question here on this before we move on: Do you think that it needs to be handled state by state basis, or do you think this is something the NCAA is going to have to throw? a giant blanket over the entire place and just be like, this is what we're doing, deal with it, move yeah. on. Well, what is unique about college sports is that, you know, Nebraska plays Iowa and we play Minnesota and you play Michigan, you play Ohio, like you're playing in other states. Right. And so if the student athletes you're playing against are governed by different rules than you're, you're playing with them, then there creates these disadvantages in mm -hmm. terms of recruiting. So the recruiting aspect of college sports is the one thing that makes it very, very challenging to have state-by-state -state rules regulations that could impact the recruiting landscape so if something's allowed in california that isn't allowed in nebraska and you're a student athlete that can go to one state and earn more than than if you went to another state in all things else being equal the states that are at a disadvantage are those that don't have the same uh, rules that are as flexible as the most flexible state so there there will be a rule there'll be federal um, guidelines that provides oversight into how name image likeness rights are monetized on college campuses across country. Uh, I have no doubt in that. And um, but the efforts by each state to push a bill forward. I know Megan Hunt and, and the the crew in Nebraska. Yep. You know that that only pushes this this argument further down the line. So um, even though those individual state bills may not ever become the law that governs NIL it got us to this point and that's the most important absolutely i'm excited to follow this more with you blake and, and have more discussions with you before we get out of here we got to chat just one quick thing husker football year three scott frost you've been out of it like a decade now but i know you bleed husker red you've been back here for a while and you live big city living now up in new york uh you don't forget about us small guys here back in nebraska but what are you excited for for this season coming up as a fan's perspective and looking at this program for scott and company yeah, I, I would say that uh, over this offseason, we made this big announcement a couple months ago about the Nebraska Ready Now program around mm -hmm. NIL. And so it's been fun to kind of be close to the program, understand that um, Scott Frost and crew and Bill Moose, they're doing everything they can to give uh, an advantage to bring Nebraska the, the type of attention that they deserve and the types of recruits that are going to turn the thing around. And 
um, year three under a new coach is an interesting one. And year three under Bo, um, you know, Nebraska was a top 10 team most of the year. Um, even year two under Bo, we were the number one defense in the country. So I, I just know that the year one to three, you you are used to this program. You know how these things go, right? And um, mm-hmm. you were part of that. You were year three, right? Under I Bo. was, yep. Yeah, yeah. So you walked into a program where all of us spoke the same language. Um, but year one under Bo, there were still the halfsy-halfsy, right? Some were, were Callahan guys, some were Bo guys. But year three is when you have the majority. Some that have some taste of the old, but the majority of the team knows the new system. I think that's uh, going to bode well for Nebraska this year. And um, yeah, to, to be determined how many games we play and what the heck right. happens uh, in the COVID environment. But in general, um, right guy, right program, and right uh, momentum. We just got to get to the games and, and win the ones that we've let slipped away over the last few years. You know that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Blake, we thank you so much for being here on Husker Huddle presented by Sap Brothers. At Sap Brothers, the top priority is to keep guests and teammates safe. Sap Brothers is offering full service at the pump as our nation relies now more than ever on drivers and farmers to provide essentials to our communities. Sap Brothers is committed to serving you. Blake, super excited that you joined us here. Everyone, if you're not following Blake, follow him on Twitter. He's got some awesome stuff on name, image, likeness, some awesome stuff on Open Doors and what they're doing to continue with uh, social media brand and development there with for players and Blake when you get back in town we'll have to go grab a beer sometime and hang out my friend we'll do that and Jeremiah I I gotta tell everyone listening and watching know that Jeremiah was employee number two or three I was one I was employee number one no I guess you were technically number one so I was two I was two uh, but uh, Jeremiah was there when open doors was a idea in the back of a napkin so uh proud of you man thankful for the opportunity to share the story but yeah we'll have that beer next time in town absolutely man i appreciate it blake take care of yourself and we'll see you soon all right thanks brother it's time for famous dave's face-off they score at the face-off famous dave's america's favorite barbecue offers award-winning mouth-watering house-smoked barbecue for pickup curbside or delivery Order three ways, online at FamousDaves.com, through the Famous Daves app, or call your nearest location in Lincoln, Omaha, or Bellevue. Famous Daves, locally and veteran-owned. Let's go. Lano Amano, you me, right here, right now. Now, here are your hosts, Josh Hilkeman and Brett Whitty. Here we are, another week of... Uh, face off, and we took a week off because Ben was out last week. So Ben, I I don't know if this benefits you or if it's uh, it, you know week of rest or if you're just so tired right yeah. now that your mind's not in the right place. What what's your assessment of where you're at coming into this week? Gonna be honest, not confident. Haven't really <laughs> been in, into uh, into kind of the sports mentality for a while, um, and the sleep deprivation may get me here. But no excuses. We're gonna fight through it and play on, and uh, and just kind of see what happens. So you're saying that you didn't just spend all your time studying like sports trivia in the hospital over the, and over the last week? I can't say that was on my uh, my high list of priorities um, when I was breaking my toe and uh, you know changing diapers and you know getting uh, getting bottles you know pulling up the uh, the major league all time hits leaders. Uh, was not something that uh, that I thought about doing or or didn't get to on my to do list. But hey, let's see how let's just see how this baby goes, huh? All right, fair enough. Well, Greg has a six five lead through eleven matchups so far 
in Famous Dave's face-off, so Ben a chance to even things up at six apiece. Starting with question number one. Name the three different players who led Major League Baseball in home runs each season from 95 to 1999. Greg. All right, Greg in first. Mark McGuire. Is Mark McGuire one of those players? He sure is. He did it three times, so he is one, he is the only one that did it multiple times. The other two only did it once. So can you repeat the question, please? Yep. This three. Is, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, name Good the start. Th- name the three different players who led Major League Baseball in home runs each season from '95 to '99. Greg was correct. So by each McGuire. season. So, so, so there's there's two others that have done it at some point between 95 and 99, Right. They, they, okay. they led the majors in home runs that specific I gotcha. season. McGuire did it 96, 98, and 99. So you're looking okay. for 95 yep. and 97. Understood. I'm going to play it. Okay. Give me Ken Griffey Jr. Is Ken Griffey Jr. one of those? He is. So now you're down to one lap that you need to get. Yeah, this will be the harder, harder right, yeah. one to get, and those are the two <laughs> obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Yep, because because Sammy didn't didn't lead it at any time. His best year was '98 when he finished second to McGuire. Um, how about like a guy like Greg Vaughn? Is Greg Vaughn up there? That's a really good pull. He hit over 50 home runs at least once, maybe a couple times, but yeah, he was really good there for a while. Um, give me Barry Bonds. How about Barry Bonds? That's incorrect. He was a little bit after that time period, and then he was just started Took going off. off. Yep. Yeah, I got one strike left, right? Yep, one strike left. So Griffey did it in 97. I guess I'll give you that. So not, I'm missing 95. Correct. Well, the guy I was going to guess was 95, so that's good. <laughs> So well, waiting in the wings. Give me the other Bash brother, Jose Canseco. How about Jose Canseco? Oh. Nope, that's not correct. So, Ben, you have a chance at a steal here. Okay, here's here's my guess, and here's why. I, I said a while back that I watched the 1995 World Series on YouTube, and that was the Braves against the Indians. Okay. And that Indians team in 95 had the best offense in baseball that year by far. And the best hitter on that team was Albert Bell. So that's my guess. guess. Is it Albert Bell for the steal? (laughs) Wow. Impressive. impressive. That's a good pull. That's one that you – some kind of random knowledge that you just happened to stumble across over the last, you know, how, yes. whenever you watch that. That's good, though. That's what that this was, game's that all was about. That was pre-baby quarantine studying is what that was. <laughs> good stuff. All right. Well, Ben with the steal up one nothing. Question number two. Who are the last three college baseball teams to win the College World Series in back-to-back seasons? Ben. Greg. Ooh, ben. All right, Ben. Oregon State. Uh, do we have Oregon State? Yes, we do. Or do you want to pass or play? I'll play it. All right. Two to get. Three strikes. I'll say the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, show me North Carolina on there. No, they're not up there. Strike one. Back to back champs. Um... One of them should be fairly easy, but the other one 
Definitely not. Uh, okay, so I know it's not anybody from the ACC, so they're out. Give me, um... They didn't win it the year before. Uh... <laughs> Man, this is harder than I thought. Give me, um... Hmm. South Carolina. All right, give me a South Carolina for the second point. They are Dang up it. there. They did it in 2010, 2011. Dang it! I knew that one. So yeah, that was the that. that was the only one other than Oregon State. I probably would have known. Okay, can you repeat the question for me one more time? All right. So, who are the last three college baseball teams to win the College World Series in back-to-back so seasons? Yeah, so just most the last back-to-back champs. Yes. Yeah, okay. so you got 2010, 2011 with South Carolina, and then 06, 07 with Oregon State. Okay. Give me. Hmm. I got it between two. Let's hear it. I'm not going to say both give of them. It to give Greg the... Well, he's got two strikes left, right? He does have True. two. True. You do have two yeah. strikes. Okay. Give me... Uh, I think this might be going back a little ways. Give me Stanford. All right. Is Stanford on there? They are not. Good guess. Good guess, but they are not up there. So your second strike down to one. Yeah. One strike to Greg. I think I think the last obvious guess. Let me let me just go over this one conference one more time in my head. <laughs> they definitely not. No. 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 Okay, I think this is the, the the. I think there's two logical guesses here, but I'm gonna go with probably the most obvious guess, even though okay. I can't think of the years that they've done it. All right. But I'll I'll say Arizona State. Okay, so Arizona State for the point. No, incorrect. All right. It goes to Greg for the steal. Greg, do you have this? No, I don't. I'm, I'm guessing. Okay. Uh, I think okay. I think it's back a ways. So I'm going to go USC. All right, show me USC for the steal. They are not up there. All right, so Ben gets the point. Um, the, it was actually LSU in '96 and '97. Mm. So you wow, guys were okay. were right so in thinking back than I was thinking. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You were you were right though in thinking that it was further back. Definitely. So the conference, it's it's this is embarrassing that I'm admitting that the conference. I was like, let me go over that conference one more time. Yeah. It was the SEC, <laughs> and I was trying to check off the teams in my head. I, I, see, I would have thought Vanderbilt maybe. On LSU. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But I was thinking, the other team I was thinking, I was trying to think of the powers, right? Arizona State, USC was the, the other obvious one. Florida State played in a ton of them in the 90s, but they didn't yeah. win in any of them. And the other one that the other team I considered was Texas, but I could never, okay. I didn't ever get up back to back on them. I was hoping you wouldn't say South Carolina. I knew they did, <laughs> but you, you picked that one off. Yep. The only reason yeah. I said South Carolina is because I knew they won the last one at Rosenblatt and the first one at TD. Right, mm. with Merrifield. Yeah. All right, Ben up 2-0 as we go to question number three. Who were the six division leaders in Major League Baseball when the 1994 season was ended due to a strike? 
Greg. All right, Greg in first. Let me say the Chicago White Sox. How about the White Sox? That's correct. So you got the AL Central leader at the end of that season when it came to a halt. Do you want to pass or play? I'll, I'll play. Okay. <laughs> that sounded very hesitant. <laughs> Reluctant. He does have to get five, so not easy. <laughs> Just five. <laughs> give me give me the Angels. How about the Angels? Incorrect. They were not the leader at that point. Um. All right, staying out there, give me Oakland. How about Oakland? Also incorrect. Going to burn them all up in the <laughs> AL West. <laughs> yeah, I guess another <laughs> AL West team would get it wrong. <laughs> Let me try a different division. Let me go Baltimore. How about in Baltimore East. in the NL or in the AL East? Wide open for you, Ben. I'm trying to <laughs> lay it out there on a platter for you. <laughs> ben, you better make your most confident guess here. You have, okay. you have multiple answers you're thinking of. Go. I mean, you he got, already guessed half the AL West. I was gonna say, so you got, I'm going you got, AL West for sure because it's isn't it 50-50 chance? It is. I mean, I was thinking maybe you had one that you knew for a fact or something like that. But yeah. Well, I kind of have an idea of who was winning the NL East, but I, it's what a one for one in five chance on that. Mm-hmm. True, true. If you're playing the numbers, it'd go AL West. But <laughs> if you're sure about it, that's why I didn't make my third guess there because then would have just he'd have had it. I mean, if I got it wrong, he'd have gone. Oh, the other team. That's smart. That's really smart. <laughs> you at least. Uh, Employed a little strategy there, Greg. That's appreciated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I got it between two. Okay. I'm going I'm going Rangers or I'm going Braves. One of those two. Okay. Um I'll say the Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers for the steal. Well, I'll say this, Ben. It's a good thing you did not say the Braves because that would have been incorrect. So it was <laughs> yeah. the Expos, actually, in the NL East that oh. were leading that division. The Yankees mm. in the AL East. As Greg mentioned, the White Sox in the AL Central. You said the Rangers in the West. That was correct. Expos in the NL East, Reds in the NL Central, and the Dodgers in the NL West. The so. other team that jumped in my head originally was the Reds, but I, I, that would have been way too gutsy of a guess, just pulling out Cincinnati. Yeah. That well, was a hard question. Was was Vlad on the Expos team? Yes. Yes. The Expos team. Had, I think they gotcha. had Pedro Martinez before he moved right. over to the Red Sox as Ooh. well. Gotcha. All right. Well, Ben up three nothing. He's rolling for the 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 win here. Yeah. D- d- talking about dad brain here, but question number four: Name the year and the opponent for the 100th, 200th, and 300th consecutive sellouts for Nebraska football. Oh boy. Greg. All right, Greg. <laughs> Greg, Greg and Ben with one oh boy. Colorado. Show me Colorado. Yes. 1994 Colorado was the 200th consecutive seller. Obviously, that's our greatest game this week. How about Louisiana Lafayette? Do we have Louisiana Lafayette up there? 
redo. That was the 300. Yeah. yeah 300. That was the only one I knew. On 2009. Those. Yeah, they, the 2009. I figured yeah. you guys could get the two that you've gotten so far. The third <laughs> one is. <laughs> this will be, yeah, this will be interesting. This will test your knowledge. So, uh, I mean, you can start doing some math, you know, spacing it out and trying to figure out an era at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'll say Missouri. To win away. All right, show me Missouri. No on Missouri, one strike. It's going to be from the late 70s. Kansas. Uh, is Kansas up there? They are. Cross that one off my list. <laughs> Ben's trying to. Rack his brain for right. that era of opponent. <laughs> two two strikes, one left here. Iowa State. All right, Iowa State doesn't sound confident. Is it <laughs> Iowa State? <laughs> it is not. All right, ben, it moves you, over to Ben then. Can you pluck it out for a steal here? I'm gonna. This I'm would gonna be an amazing stick in the conference. <laughs> yeah, if he pulls this, this would out. be amazing. Oh my! I'll goodness. say Kansas State. All right, show me Kansas State for the steal. It is not. All right, so Greg, you were actually right. The late seventies, you did the the math right there. It was nineteen seventy nine against Penn State. Oh, non conference. Oh, wow, no way. No chance I'd have got no, that one. No chance. That was a tough one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not a lot of people that were going to get that one. I just thought maybe you remembered it or something. Was, I don't. <laughs> one or two listeners right now are screaming hey, at the radio. I think though. it's pr- I think it's pretty impressive. I pulled Louisiana yes. out of the hat. That was, that, that yeah, was the only I one I knew. Gotten that because yeah. I remember doing a, a, a call or a game day feature on the 300 uh, sellout okay. yeah, of that game. Well, they had the alternate unis and yeah, yeah, yep. Oh, I called okay. that one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So, Greg, you stay alive. You're down 3-1, though. Still need to make up some ground as we go to question number five, which asks, which four current NFL teams have the best all-time winning percentage? Ben. All right, Ben in first. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Show me the Steelers. So, Greg, you get a chance here. Um, Give me the Dallas Cowboys. How about the Cowboys? Okay. All right. Number one. So uh, there's four of them? There are four. You've got one, the Cowboys. The Cowboys are actually at the very top, a 572 winning percentage. Jeez. Uh, I'll, I'll play. This is ludicrous, but I'll play. Okay. Uh, all time, right? All time. So, I mean, mm-hmm. some Going teams have way played back. way more yeah, games yeah. than others. So. Say, that's, that's the hard part now is figuring yep. out. It's sp- well, for that reason alone, I'm going to go the Chicago Bears because I think they were dominant for several decades. How about the Chicago Bears? They are number four with a 563 percentage. So you've bookended it. You need the two middle teams. I'll tell you that one of these teams is surprising and one is not. I would, yeah, I would agree with that, definitely. Man. Give me the Packers. Show me the Packers. <laughs> okay. You don't have any strikes on you and you just need one more team. How hard can that be, right, Greg? Yeah, uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> pipe, pipe down now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Those are the two that I knew right there. Yeah. Oh. What were the two he got right? I got a cross. He's gotten cross three right. So Cowboys, Packers, and Bears. Bears. Okay. By the way, the Packers at a 567 percentage. So two. somewhere in between 567 and 563 is this team number three. I think other than that Steelers pick, those were like the three most historical NFL teams you could probably think of. Yep. Give me the Baltimore Ravens. Show me the Baltimore Ravens. They are actually just outside. I believe they're actually number five or number six on that that list. That's a good guess. This is hard. It's difficult. (laughs) I'll give you that. Um, give me the Giants. How about the Giants? Good guess. That's a good guess. All right, Man, down to your last that's not strike. Not a team I considered. That is a good guess. I have a theory. I, I'm not going to say because it might help Ben out. <laughs> right. I, well, um, I've got I've got my list of three teams that I've compiled. Okay. Yeah. And then we can hear your reasoning on those, at least. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go through them all. Wow. Um. Give me the Vikings. Show me the Vikings. Ben can close me out, right? So here. yeah, Ben, you have a chance for a steal here. Yeah. If you can get this last Is team. Is one of the three. Correct. So my, I have a question first. Sure. So it, the, the team in question here I have is the Colts. So does this go back to them being Baltimore? Yeah, I believe it's franchise history. Yeah. Okay. And that's why what probably got me on the Ravens, right? Because they were the Browns. Right. True. Yeah. Okay, here are my teams. I got the 49ers. Okay. I'm thinking about leaving them off because Josh's because of Josh's clue he said earlier. One's obvious and one isn't. So to me, 49ers would be an obvious one. I've got the Colts, the Jets, and the Broncos. Okay. I don't think it's the Broncos because I don't know that they were all that good until until that run in the 90s. Now, now the Colts are interest me because of Johnny Unitas, and then that run, huge run they had there with Manning, and even Andrew Luck. They're they're about five hundred or better. And now I don't know how far back they go. Like, are they are they a team that goes back into the fifties? Are they a team in the seventies? I'm just not sure if they play because if they played a long time, their win percentage is naturally going to come down. Right. And the other team that that jumped into mind was the Jets. I don't think it's them. Uh, All right, give me the Colts. Show me the Colts for the steal. Incorrect. So the last team, team number three, is the Patriots. New England Patriots, 564. They've just had – they were obviously terrible for a long time, but they've had – a great last couple mm-hmm. decades. So shame I, on us. We Colts was, that. that was a good pick, Greg. You stay alive for another another question here. Dramatic right. comeback. Question, yeah. Question number six. Who are the top four MLB players in career Grand Slams, and that's all time? Ben. Okay. Ben. Babe Ruth. Uh, is Babe Ruth up there? 
He is not. Babe Ruth is not in the top four Grand Slam. Let me go with a guy from the Harriers. Willie Mays. (laughs) Uh, Show me Willie Mays. He's not up there either. Back to Ben. Top four. Barry Bonds. (laughs) Barry Bonds. No, no, Barry Bonds. The, the, the crowd is upset right now. What folks. in the world? <laughs> Number four has 19 career Grand Slams, by the way. So yeah, I need, everybody is above that at least. Give me Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, show me Ken Griffey Jr. Then. Jeez, wheeze. <laughs> this is tough. This, this is really tough. This is Alex not an Rodriguez. Easy <laughs> All right, show me Alex Rodriguez. All right, All right we're, we're rolling. We're rolling. He got now, the number one. He's t- he's got twenty five career Grand Slams. All right, let's throw these out quick. We're running short on time. Yeah, we are. All right, okay, 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 okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, let's start a shot oh clock God. here. Um, <laughs> God, I don't even know what to guess. Sammy Sosa. <laughs> Sammy Sosa. No on Sammy one strike. Sosa. One strike. Um. Hank Aaron. Uh, give me Hank Aaron. That's a really good guess, but no. That's a really good guess, but no. All oh the ones that you God. would think you guys have already guessed, basically. All right. Um, David Ortiz. I don't know. Is David Ortiz up there? Not a bad guess. He's not. All right, one more. Oh, it's still me? Yeah, it's still you. You oh, got one oh, more. I thought, Just I one thought more. that was my third strike. I'm sorry. No. Uh, Wade Boggs. Show me Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs. Oh. All right, so Greg, for the steal, if you can get one of the three Greg left. Greg's sending it to a game seven if he gets You this. can do this. You can do <laughs> it. Oh, goodness. Hank Greenberg. How about Hank, Hank Greenberg, Greenberg or the steal? No. I don't know who that is. The other three, Lou Gehrig, Manny Ramirez, and Eddie Murray. So, Ben, oh you, you pulled out. That was ugly, but you, you got it done. There good you win, go. Man. Congratulations. A win, man. A win after Feel great win about it. <laughs> Very I'm, good. Delighted to be joined now on our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline by Todd Lebo, our good friend from 810 WHB in Kansas City. Leibs, great to have you on with us here tonight. I hope you and your family are well. Not bad. You know, we're getting through the best way we can, Greg. You know, it's, uh, it's hard to do sports radio without sports, but <laughs> it's kind of what we're, what we're all doing right now. How, how maddening has it been for your audience, your, your listeners? Uh, what kind of vibe are you getting with the frustration level they have with Major League Baseball and their inability to come up with something to get on the field? Well, you know, it's crazy. This whole thing started, uh, you know, in the middle of March, and we were – you know, heck, we were at the Big 12 tournament and there were people in the stands. And then the whole thing really unraveled really quickly in just a couple of days. And then, you know, you start thinking, ah, well, you know, maybe let's play baseball and, you know, later in April because it's going to start so early. And then it became apparent that that wasn't going to happen. This was much more serious than people knew. And then you start seeing, and I, man, I tell you, I, I thought this one week into it. The biggest issue with baseball was not going to be anything about health. It was going to be, you know, owners and players fighting because that's what they do. Sure enough, if that hasn't been the case, now there's been good news today that they're coming together and maybe getting something done. But, you know, it's just been this way. And it's been very frustrating for fans because 
you, you know, you see Major League Soccer work it out and basketball kind of work it out and, you know, have some dates down, although that doesn't look like it's going to be as easy as they thought. You, you know, so it has been frustrating because you, you have an opportunity to whoever, you know, you want to be, you want to be it right. You know, you don't want to get people sick and all that. But if you have an opportunity to get the stage, people are starved for anything right now, you know, anything at all. And they just haven't been able to get it done. And it hasn't been because of protocols about sickness. It's been, it's been about money. And when there's tens of millions of people in America who have lost their jobs or been furloughed or had their pay cut or whatever, it just, it, you know, forget about millionaire, millionaires versus billionaires. It's just frustrating that they can't figure out a way to play a game. You know, that's been very frustrating for a lot of people. Yep. No, I hear you. Now, the Royals have gotten some praise from around baseball for taking care of their minor leaguers, taking care of their staff. That's earned them some brownie points. I don't know what that means in the grand scheme of things, but it's, I think it speaks well for Dayton Moore and, and the new owner of the club, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly looks like it's kind of paid off a little bit when they were signing a bunch of these $20,000 for the agents after the draft last week. That You know, this is an organization that's going to do their best to treat you right. And uh, th- those things are what you need to do when you're in Kansas City. You know, and, and public pressure, you know, the first thing came out that Oakland, uh, they have always been a cheap franchise, wasn't going to pay their players. And then we had a Zoom, I guess it was the next day, with Dayton Moore, and he's like, yeah, we're paying them. And, you know, John Sherman knows how important it is. Because the way Dayton explains it, it's like it's the, you know, single-A and double-A guys who don't make it are going to come back to their communities and be ambassadors for baseball. They're the guys who are going to coach youth leagues and, and love the game and you know because Dayton's got this really uh, long-ranging view of baseball it's not about the next two or three years he wants baseball to to grow and continue to flourish and it looks like it's you know lost in popularity because so many kids aren't playing it and that's why they started the Urban Youth Academy in Kansas City and they built this great complex down at 18th and Vine and they still are having a, a more difficult time getting you know, not just suburban kids going down there to play. They want everyone to come play baseball. But that's that's Dayton's view. That's why they thought it was so important to continue to pay those guys because you don't want to turn them off on the game because these guys who are living the dream out there in single A and double A who maybe got picked in the 25th round four years ago, they're the ones who are ambassadors for the game. Todd Lebo is with us from uh, 810 WHB in Kansas City. Not only have we had to deal with the virus and the shutdown of everything, but now, now you have the civil unrest because of the George Floyd murder up in Minneapolis, and that has certainly riled people up an awful lot. Everybody's antennas are up, and this is certainly now grabbing a lot of people in the sports world. And, and I wanted to get your thoughts about Mike Gundy, who's always kind of been a guy that has surra- he's kind of put himself into some difficult situations during his tenure at Oklahoma State. How about how about what he's dealing with now? And you've got guys like Paul Feinbaum who are out there saying he, he should be fired immediately. I don't even know why Oklahoma State's even messing around with this thing. How, how much have you delved into the, the Mike Gundy deal? Oh, it's been a big topic here for sure. You know, I was, you know, remember, I, didn't, I wasn't on the, the call when Coach Gundy said a lot of the things he said about let's get people on campus in May and all that, and then we talked to, about OAN for a while. I wasn't on that call, but I, was, I certainly read about it and listened to a lot of it afterwards. And he's always been that guy. You know, he doesn't like Twitter. He doesn't like this. Uh, you know, the whole I'm a man, I'm 40 thing, people laugh at that clip. But all that entire rant was about was trying to belittle a journalist who had written a, an in-depth story that had some behind-the-scenes things that he didn't like, right? That was People don't remember what that was about. It was about their quarterback, Bobby Reed, who had not really kind of 
turned into what they thought he was. And Jenny Carlson from the Oklahoman had written a story about that. And he just, you know, he's defending his player and, and yelled. So he's been, he was a man, he's 40. He was kind of an old man, get off my yard guy when he was 40. And he's really more of that when he's 52. And listen, I think there's a lot of things at play in this whole T-shirt gate thing. He didn't take a picture of himself wearing this T-shirt, right? He was out fishing in a ratty T-shirt and caught some fish, and the place that he was fishing took a picture of them with the catch. That thing sat on the Facebook page for Lake Texoma, whatever, for five days before anyone noticed it, okay? So it's not like he went out there and took a picture of his shirt and said, look at me. Now, he had already talked about it before, but talking about things doesn't hold the weight of a photograph on Twitter these days, right? It just doesn't. And, and the world has changed since that, uh, you know, Zoom where we talked about it back in late April, I guess it was, till, till now. And that's what, what the touchstone was. And he certainly, uh, you know, they tried their best to damage and control it. I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with him. It, the, the big thing he's got to do, the most important thing for every coach, as you know, is they have to be able to recruit. And if you can't recruit players, you will not win football games. And he has to make sure – that he doesn't have to believe and, and live, you know, doesn't have to believe everything that his players think is right, but he has to understand his players and talk to them and maybe n- not have that shirt on when he's out, you know, fishing where a picture could take. And I, you know, I, these are tough things, you know, with Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri head coach was on the zoom today and they were asking about, you know, Dabo Sweeney had that football matter shirt on a few weeks ago. Once again, he, he didn't take the picture and put it on the internet. He's on vacation somewhere. And Eli Drinkwood said he got that shirt mailed to him like four years ago. It was like the football foundation sent him out, you know. And, but you got to think about all these things now. And that's what uh, Coach Drinkwood was saying is you have to think everything through before you put a shirt on, before you say anything. And it looks like this stuff has caught up a little bit with Mike Gundy and whether or not he – keeps his job or whatever, I think he probably will. It's just a different world for him now. And he's not an old man, but he's been coaching there now since 2005. And it, it is not the same world that he came into when he was coaching than when he first got the job back then. It's, it's a different world for sure now. Feinbaum was quick to point out that he's like 2-13 and 13 against Oklahoma, but a lot of programs are 2-13 and 13 against Oklahoma. Is he, is he well-liked among their fan base? I mean, we're a little bit more disconnected now. It's interesting. He's uh, got – there are certainly plenty of people who, you know, like we got a guy here in our station who went to Oklahoma State, uh, Corey Anderson, and he's like, could give or take Mike Gundy, you know, because he understands that, you know, 2-13 and 13 against Oklahoma is not good enough, right? But he also understands that it could be worse. You know what I mean? It, it could be uh, – you know, what it was even early in Les Miles' career. Oklahoma State was not good after Mike Gundy – you know, stopped playing, and then before Les Miles kind of got it going a little bit there a couple of years in, they weren't very good. And, you know, what, what can you be? And then flipping coaches every three years is not a recipe to do it. So there's something to be said about a guy who has stated his alma mater, alma mater who, who could have gone other places and hasn't done that. But, you know, or should you be someone who wins the Big 12? Should you have gone to at least one Big 12 championship game? Yeah, they won the Big 12 one time, you know, before there was, you know, in between when there was a title game. They never made the title game before, and then they haven't made the title game since they came back. So, you know, you guess sometimes you got to watch out what you wish for. If you think the grass is greener and you get rid of him over something like a T-shirt, who are you going to hire? And especially, 
who are you going to hire in June <laughs> during a pandemic? It's it's a strange times for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Lee Blue, appreciate it. Always good to catch up. Stay healthy. Let's get some baseball on the field here in the next month and get back to some normalcy. Let's just make sure we get football planned for sure. Okay, but that's that's what we gotta have. <laughs> Tomorrow night, coming over the program, Kent Pavelka will join us. We'll reminisce about the '94 Husker win over Colorado. That'll be our greatest games on Friday night. Thursdays always includes Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune and Seven on Seven. Also headed your way tomorrow night, and our Flicks picks. Can't forget that. It'll be a busy night tomorrow night here on Sports Sunday. Another hour ahead here on Sports Sunday. Thanks to Todd Lebo for spending a few minutes with us here during this hour.